testing for good endings. Can we talk about Whiplash? No. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Okay, we're recording. We are recording, and we are here today to visit the good endings. We are the Contrarians, of course. I am Alex, joined as always by Julio. You know the drill by this point. We believe ourselves to be correct and you to be incorrect. And we are cranking out the bonus episodes. We are. We're just blitzing through these. Um, But as uh, was introduced a few weeks ago, uh, we're recording these so close together, our timelines mentally are super fucked up. Yeah, I don't even know, like... Which order we we just now we just kind of tried to figure out in which order they're gonna come out. Yeah, but, I mean we know for a fact that this episode will come out after the episode with the bad endings. Correct. So that much we know. So in an attempt to we're kind of working here, we're always gonna keep to our um our lineal episodes, so to speak, the numbered episodes. Uh, in terms of our whole outlook, the you know our contrarians corner and also our real talk our quest to disprove rotten tomatoes but you know we're also trying to kind of figure out a way that we can kind of intertwine these episodes where it's more of just an open discussion of things we talk about things that nature tackling interesting topics top five top ten lists you know the whole the whole shebang the whole rigmarole as it were but for this particular uh we started obviously with part one uh we're tackling endings here and these are we are discussing our personal favorites and our personal least favorites. So the first time around, we tackled our least favorite endings. This time, obviously, what's left is to tackle our favorite ones. Now, I do feel the need to explain once more. We are not saying these are the best. These are personal favorites of ours. Um, And much like the bad endings, I think we should also issue a massive spoiler alert. Yes, which you should know if you listen to the show. But of course, (laughs) there will be uh, a list of all the movies that will be talked about uh, on the episode description. So just read the description, see that you've either seen all the movies or that you don't care to be spoiled about the ending of those movies Mm -hmm. and then proceed. Uh, And this is also it's worth mentioning that this is inspired by the recent Oscars where Manchester by the Sea disappointed us with its ending mm-hmm. and were at least me because you, you haven't you haven't seen la la land yet but la la land to me was kind of like a weak movie with a really good ending and well also part of it was we didn't want to just do the negative it's like, well that too it, you know, it's like come on we're not uh we're not that bad no but of course uh much like the least favorite endings list julio and i do not know each other's lists currently that's what makes it fun it will be interesting um and Will we have an overlap this time? I, I don't know about this time. I, mine's a fucking... Man, that is a buckshot if I've ever seen one looking at it. But Yeah, like I was telling you right before we started recording. So my criteria for this was similar. Uh, for the least favorite endings, I was trying to pick movies that were not bad movies. They were like good movies with bad endings. Mm-hmm. In this case, I was trying to pick movies that were not like... I mean, I think that they're all good movies, but playing with the Rotten Tomatoes gimmick, I'm looking for movies that are not that popular. So if they were like too close to to the hundreds, the nineties, then I was trying to step away from that. Uh, uh, that so made it a little easier. Yeah, I, I'm probably a bit guilty of that. So well, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, that's your criteria. My criteria is different. That's again, that's gonna make it even funnier if there is actually an overlap. It was a lot easier than least favorite endings because like things just started flooding to my brain. So, uh, 
yeah, we should be good to go on this. I do have a shit ton of honorable mentions. Me too, but we should save them for the end this time. Okay. Because last time, I one of my honorable mentions turned out to be your number one. Two. Your number two. So, okay. yeah, this time I can just say, oh, yeah, me too, after. And like I told you, Julio, before we started recording, I made a specific effort to avoid anything wildly cliche, such as The Departed, Dark Knight, Pulp Fiction, Empire Strikes Back, etc., um, so let's go ahead and jump into it here. Why don't you go with your number five, Julio? Oh, you bitch. <laughs> um, okay. My number five, it's fitting because I had, uh, Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull on my least favorite endings list. So my number five is Indiana Jones and the last crusade at 88% run tomatoes, which makes me angry <laughs> that the movies on the eighties, cause that movie should be in the high nineties. <laughs> And uh, and the ending is a big reason why. I mean, the whole movie is amazing, but the ending. Uh, when was the last time you saw it? You have seen it, right? Yeah, it's been a while, dude. It's just it's just so good. Sean Connery as his dad and everything. But they had a uh, they showed it in uh, uh, at the Paramount. I think I think they showed it every year, but I saw it last year, and it was great. Just seeing it again in theaters and it played like I remember it playing when I was a kid. Uh, I probably seen that movie like ten. 15 times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I used to have the VHS. And I would just play it over and over. But the ending is just so good. Uh, he So they arrive at the place where the, the Grail is, mm-hmm. right? And the Nazis have them at gunpoint. And they know that there's like three like challenges before you get to the Grail. But they don't know what they are. And all they have is like these kind of like weird clues about what might help you like get through the challenges. And so the Nazi guy shoots Sean Connery, uh, Indy's dad, and then he's like, well, now the only way that your dad's going to survive is if you get the grail. Mm-hmm. And so, so Indiana Jones has to go through the challenges to get the grail to save his dad, and also, you know, in, in the process of getting the, helping the Nazis get to the grail. So that's like the last, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie, 25 minutes of the movie, him getting through the challenges, and how then you see how like these, these clues that you've had through the entire movie, how they play into him solving the challenges mm-hmm. and uh and then when he finally gets to it there's one last test where it's like the whole room is full of uh of cups and he has to pick the right cup and by now the nazis have been following him so they they've arrived there too like the, the head nazi and uh and the head nazi goes for he's like oh it's a cup of a king you know so he goes for like the really like the most uh uh the prettiest like the the one that's full of jewelry and stuff like he gets that one and he uses to drink from it and then he dies <laughs> you know he turns into like a skeleton and then Harrison Ford goes like no it's the cup of a carpenter so he gets like the plainest uh, cup and he drinks from it and it's like oh wow that's that's the right one and then, you know he says that and uh, it's just it's just so smart it plays on everything that's, that the movie's been building up to the relationship because of course <clears throat> Once they take the cup out of the temple, everything starts falling apart. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the cup falls through one of the cracks, and the uh, the Nazi woman that has kind of like been with him the entire time, she dies trying to get it, and then he's trying to get the cup, and his dad like is holding him, and he just basically tells him that you know he needs to let go, and uh, it just having uh, having that moment between the two of them where they acknowledge like their passions. And that sometimes it's just you just need to like walk away from your passion just so that you can live. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It it just works so well. It, it's it's really cool. And of course, you know the it's, it's Steven Spielberg, so it's directed magnificently. You know the, with quite expertise. Yes, he he just makes every beat of the challenges. It's just so good because you know he has to go through like the blades, and then he goes through like this. Uh, kind of like scrabble board where he has to like spell the name of god uh and then and then he gets to like this big chasm where you know there's like an invisible bridge the whole point is you have to step there with faith and then the yeah. bridge appears it's just it's all so good it, it's 88 percent. fuck you run tomatoes <laughs> Uh, well, much like the least favorite endings episodes, I just went and got the year, not the Rotten Tomatoes score, because I didn't want that to sway my judgment. You're just going to be like, fuck you, 1983. Because I just 
puked everything out on the list, and I was like, I pieced it together like a puzzle, and then even then I didn't do it right because I ended up with six not paying attention, but I decided which one I'm going to give the axe to, and I'll give ample praise and honorable mentions. Uh, number five would be 2008's Rock Doc Anvil, The Story of Anvil. Have you seen that movie before? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Um, it's, a, it's an incredibly made documentary that has an ending that you're hoping for but you don't think it's going to happen and it's just the story of this band this metal band from the 80s that had a really big hit and were really big and they've just kind of clung to that ever since and have never been able to regain that level of stardom and the whole the whole documentary is them their struggle of touring and uh, balancing it with like uh you know normal jobs things of that nature but in the end, they're signed to do this big film, uh, this big music festival, and they're not really sure the type of crowd that's going to show up. And it's just you, you like you go through their heartache with them, and it's so well made. And then in the end, they have a big crowd that shows up there. And then of course, the voiceover at the end is perfect and everything. And what really puts it over the top is the show they do is in Japan, and um, I believe it's in Tokyo, and they're like downtown kind of. And the main character Lips, you've just come to see, is this huge just dweeb this dork and the way the movie ends it's literally like the last second of the film it's this big build to this crescendo of hope and triumph and then he just looks at the camera and he smiles he goes oh Godzilla and like points over the horizon and it's just like the perfect way to end it but it's more of the sentiment behind everything Um, I remember the first time I watched that movie crying fairly hard like halfway through it there's a a couple halfway through it not even Halfway through, not even through the ending. No, like correct. Yeah, like uh, there, there's a scene where basically he breaks down talking about how badly he wants the stardom, how much he's chased it and everything. And these guys are, they're kind of losers. They're these 50, almost 60-year-old men that are still just pushing on with this dream that's kind of illogical. But at the end, they're rewarded. So you as the viewer feel kind of rewarded. The exact opposite of hated the story of Gigi Allen, <laughs> where you're just like, oh man, this hurts. I feel like I've watched a lot of documentaries, more specifically a shit ton of rock docs, and it's without question the one that stuck with me the most. Uh, the other one being uh, End of the Century, the story of the Ramones, but obviously that doesn't really have too much of a happy ending. Whereas this one, it just it's impeccable filmmaking with a really unexpected ending, which a lot of times documentaries you can kind of see where they're going the exception of like this and dear zachary uh dude i I haven't seen dear zachary but i i'm not ever gonna watch it because they told me about it i don't really know it's it's so well made but it's i'm 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 cool just knowing about it don't talk about a movie that big old tears were shed during (laughs) that that's not what we're here to talk about we're here today and i'm putting over anvil the story of anvil because the ending instilled a certain sense of hope and joy in me all right my number four at 67% in Rotten Tomatoes. Talk about like making me angry. Again, uh, World War Z. Did you watch it? Have you seen it? Brad Pitt versus the zombies. Dude, it is. You working me here? No. Are you duking on my chest right now? I am 100% <laughs> serious. It's so good, especially once you know the backstory about how they were having trouble coming up with the ending of the movie. And they had this big epic battle scene planned out or maybe they even shot it and it wasn't working and then they finally decide to scale back and really the ending well what was real quick just quick sidebar what was the story because that movie was like a productional nightmare wasn't it well yeah because uh, i mean it depends you know me like i try to like stay away from like behind the scenes until after i watch the movie yeah uh but i know that uh you know it's nothing like the book the book is a collection of interviews from with survivors of the uh, zombie apocalypse, and the movie is nothing like that. <laughs> no, you know the 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 book would be what happens after the movie, and not even that. Like after the movie, and it's three sequels or whatever. You know, when like once the world is back to some sort of normalcy, uh, there's like a couple things from the book that kind of make it into the movie, like little beats. But is there any mention of how the movie ends in the book? Yeah. No, 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 no. There's no like, there's no main character in the book other than the person that's doing the interviews. You know, okay. uh, I think uh, 
I'm talking about like Israel having the wall that that protects the entire city from the zombies. I mean, that's in the movie and that's in the book, but I think that might be it. Um, the but the shite ending of the film—it's not, dude. It's so good because even though, and a lot of people complain that the movie was not like the book, even though it's it's very different. I think it does zone in into the whole. Uh, it, it's not your typical zombie movie in the sense that your main character is not <clears throat> it's not like a warrior or a soldier or whatever. He's like a scientist. He's somebody that's trying to figure stuff out. And uh, and so it makes sense that the ending of the movie is him figuring something out. It's not like a big action sequence. It's him finding out how to become invisible to the zombies. Do you remember what happens at the yeah. end with the fucking – is it a Coke or a Pepsi? He he injects himself with the what he yeah, hopes yeah. is gonna be, and then he comes out, and the zombies don't see him, like they don't perceive him. Yeah, and there's the I remember the the music hits its big fucking apex when the door opens, and like, then he goes and gets a coke. I think. Oh, is that I? Yeah. There's like a vending machine or something, and he and he gets. I honestly don't remember that. I've I've seen this movie, and I remember the end right there. I don't remember that though. But I, now I'm I'm wondering if I made that up, but <laughs> I have the Blu-ray. Oh man! I couldn't wait for the Criterion, but uh, uh, it's so good because it's just it's just so not what you would expect from you know a zombie movie, mm-hmm. and I just like that it was it was just brainy, and I don't think that World War Z gets enough credit for being as brainy as it is. I like the other zombie movies, you know, like all the others I've seen. I mean, I like the genre, and I like I'm all down with like all the crazy like action sequences and mowing down zombies and all this stuff, but but I like that. The entire movie was him trying to figure out a way out of how to cure this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't him just trying to survive, but it was him trying to figure out like a cure or something. And then, and then it makes sense that it ends with him figuring something out. He's not he doesn't cure the plague, but at least you know he figures out an advantage. And uh, it's just, I think they nailed the ending. It's just so good. Fair enough. I can't really hate on or give you too much shit because my next one i remember do seeing today it's in the 70s on the the old rt uh going back to 2003 and anyone who's been a long time listener to this podcast is not going to be surprised at all that i include this in my favorite endings of all time in a film terminator 3 you can't stop judgment day god damn it alex <laughs> what I don't know. It feels like Terminator 3 is one of those things. It's like Judd Apatow's career that keeps coming up in our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what it was built for because we're never going to review it because it doesn't apply to. Uh, it's something that we'll always debate. You've always given me that the ending's good. Yeah, no, I agree with you in that part. But still, that fuck that movie. Dude, that, it's, I just I just had an argument over you know on you Twitter. You own Genesis. Yeah, much and better salvation. movie. Much better movie. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right, we're not here to argue about when and where the Terminator franchise went off the rails. I can admit some of the faults and shortcomings. I tell you exactly when when like, the, the female Terminator grows her boobs. That's that's the that's like the only part I can't defend in the movie. <laughs> um, now with all that being said, the ending is so good. I've talked to people that loathe the movie, but the ending made up for it. And I do think it's just brilliant mainly because it's a movie that right off the bat, you're putting this weird trying to figure out what type of movie it is. Cause remember Arnold takes the clothes from the male stripper and then he like, it's, it's a shot for shot remake of uh, the opening of two. But when he flicks the glasses to put them on, they're the, rainbow colored star glasses as that sounds about what would happen in that movie i don't remember (laughs) but yeah that sounds so things like that happen and you know the audience is kind of put at ease because claire danes is there and all these different things so you're not really sure it's you want to talk about something totally inconsistent it is however the climax and ending live up to the terminator franchise in that it kind of validates almost terminator 2 also and that all they did was postpone Judgment Day. Like, all the work and effort they did was... It helped, but it didn't save it. And for a movie like that, especially for a movie at that point in time... If I remember correctly, it was PG-13, because they were trying... 
I want to say it was. Uh, I don't remember. No, it wasn't. Salvation was. Anyway, but they were still trying to apply uh, appeal to a mainstream audience. So to have the balls, especially given global climate at the time, 2003, like to just say, yeah, the world ends. You can't do anything about it. I, I think <laughs> that's very cool. And I do think specifically uh, Claire Danes and uh, was it Nicholas Stahl? Yeah, Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl. Yeah, they... Nicholas is his dad. Okay. <laughs> their acting in that is especially great, and just everything about it, when um, the Terminator destroys the boob Terminator, um, <laughs> and they get in that fallout shelter, and you as an audience member are figuring it all out with them as to what's going on about, you know, they think, because Arnold's led them there on those false pretenses, and they're realizing... Okay, and he's getting to the radio, and everything is going to shit, and they're like, "Fuck!" Like he just led us here for us to be safe because we have to lead this resist. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm getting a semi talking about it right now, dude. It's so fucking good. Um, yeah, and then I, of course I got sidetracked on my research about it. That, remember, Nick Stahl was kind of going to be a thing. He was supposed to be a thing because he was John Connor. I mean, he's a he's anyone a, who's John Connor, like that's you're supposed to be a thing. Uh, Edward was, Furlong. Oh, man. So it's the curse of John Connor? Well, the big thing with Nick Stahl when I was researching his career was he hitched his wagon to Carnival, that the HBO TV show, show yeah. which every critic from the beginning said, it's not a bad show. It's just way too weird for fucking mainstream audiences to ever latch on to. Now, Nick Stahl had waited a few years, and I, I don't know any character's name from Game of Thrones, but if he had <laughs> hitched his wagon to that, he might be in a different circumstance. But... He was the yellow guy in sin city yeah yeah and those, nobody would know that that's him i was gonna say those movies remember when those were a thing <laughs> uh terminator 3 has a fantastic ending it's good it's extremely memorable and it's also despite what you think of the film overall you have to give them props for doing that as opposed to doing some fucking whitewashed and that's that's also it that's the best they could have done with that it also makes it speaks to the brilliance of James Cameron with Terminator One and Two about how he figured out how to not have that ending and still have something extremely plausible. When I wrote this, my original list had Terminator Two and Three on it, and I was like, "Fuck, I can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> not to say Terminator Three is a better movie than Terminator Two, because Terminator Two is I you're not that crazy. No, I do believe it's been scientifically proven Terminator Two is the greatest movie ever made. Uh, not quite. Greatest action movie. Not quite. <laughs> that belongs to funny people. Action movie? Man, that'll be uh, Pearl Harbor. Armageddon. Action, you get romance. Jesus. Uh, okay, Julio, number four. Or three. Number three, and this one you will agree with me. Uh, if we have an overlap, this would be it. At 86% Rotten Tomatoes, our much beloved The Master. Yes. With... Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman singing to Joaquin Phoenix. I just, I mean, it's hard to explain why it works. If I, I've heard, uh, you know, our our former guest Brandon Curtis hate on the master so many times. Yeah, it's, and it's annoying just because of how wrong he is. Right, but there is. It's one of those movies where you can't even like argue, have an an argument that makes sense because. When people react negatively to it, they're reacting to just, I guess, it's not like the plot or it's not the the, the characters. It's not that oh well, this doesn't make sense or, or it's just like the movie, the movie, the way the movie is made, the filmmaking. They're reacting to the filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and to me it works, and to have these two characters have such a complex relationship throughout, you know, what is it, two hours, two and a half hours, and it's like a two two ten two fifteen. Yeah. And then, I don't know, just Philip Seymour Hoffman singing that song to Joaquin Phoenix just encapsulates everything. It's like the perfect goodbye. Well, what's perfect about that is because he's saying goodbye to him, but it also speaks that movie, um, Doris, the love of his life earlier in the movie. That's one of the things in one of the flashbacks that connected them so well was that she sang to him. Right. And it shows the extent of the relationship with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix that like he knows him better than anyone else. And then, yeah, it's, 
if you don't understand what you're watching, it can come across as kind of awkward. But if you do get it, we screened that together, and I remember both of us just being <laughs> awestruck when it was over. Yeah, yeah. that was so good. Uh, they, I, and also I really like what it says about trying to fit in, about how his character is just he even by the end of the movie even though he knows it's bullshit yeah he's just willing to just it's like i don't care i just i just want to be part of it yeah but but hoffman won't have it <laughs> he's just like phil Seymour hoffman is like nope you had your chance a danger to the cause yeah it's man it's it's so good i and i mean the, I, I don't know i i like all of pta's movies I think they're all great, I except still need for to see Inherent Vice. Yeah, except for Inherent Vice. Oh, is that what you're gonna say? <laughs> yeah. I haven't looked at the the Rotten Tomatoes scores for like all the others, but you know, it's just eighty six feels like really low. Yeah, for, that's for that kind of movie. It makes sense, but it feels low. I remember, and this is one of the most pretentious things I've probably ever said. I remember the master when someone asked me how I felt about it. I said it was the most complete film I've seen since There Will Be Blood. <laughs> and like when I said that, I didn't even connect the dots in my head. But uh, yeah, that's a classic. And there will be blood almost made my cut too, just because how iconic the ending of that is. Even already, it's just at ten years old, and that's already been established as one of like the more iconic endings in a movie ever. I'm finished. Yeah, and the, well, the oh god, that whole fucking final scene—the I drink your milkshake scene and everything. Yep. Uh yeah, the master's a fantastic movie, and the way it ends there is really good too. And then after that, doesn't he just he just kind of wanders off and he has sex with that bigger girl, and then just kind of walks off, and that's the end of the movie. I don't even remember the sex part. Yeah, I think I think the master's due for a rewatch. Always, good. Moving along to number three on this side of the room, it is going to be a trip back to nineteen ninety nine. In my lifetime, I'm not too sure how many movies will be made that will be on the same level of this in terms of, um, I hate using the term revolutionary, but... Uh, said Revolutionary Road? <laughs> hey uh Game Changer, Blair Witch Project. Really? Yes. Now, you fucked me up here, because I was going to make an allusion to one of my honorable mentions about how this succeeds more than that one, but we're <laughs> saving that, so... Uh, Blair Witch Project has an ending that only gets better every time you watch it. The first time you watch it, okay, that whole movie is just money. I'll always remember the first time I watched that. Uh, Did you watch it knowing that it was not a documentary? Yes. Okay. But still, because I would have been only 11 or 12 when it came out, and I remember hearing about it, and my parents weren't going to let me go see an R-rated movie in the theater, uh, I had to wait another year or two before my dad took me to see Reindeer Games. That was the first <laughs> R-rated movie. Um, so by that point, I knew that. And I remember watching it, realizing how people could surely think it was real. Because now, that type of film's the norm. Found footage is the norm now. Um, prior to that, you know, there had been sprinklings of it. Everyone attributes Cannibal Holocaust as the first ever found footage film. But... The way this is shot and what's brilliant about this, and Cannibal Holocaust kind of tried to do that, but that movie can suck a dick. Actors you hadn't seen before and really haven't seen since. Makes that great. Uh, It helps that motif so much. But the ending of it, I remember the first time I saw it, just staring at the screen and the credits, and then halfway through the credits going, Oh! Like figuring out what was going on with uh-huh, it, and uh-huh. th- that's why. And every time I rewatch it, like it's one of those that doesn't lose that value because it can trigger back how I felt the first time I watched it, and also just the way it's shot, presented. I love the uh, switching back and forth between the black and white film camera. And that's the- yeah, that's my favorite part of it. I remember when I figured out that that was happening in the movie, I I really started enjoying it. I've only seen it once, and I saw it. On VHS, probably at least a year after it already came out. So a lot of the fun of it had already been debunked for me, but I didn't know how it ended. So I, at what's least... incredible is there, there. I remember people I went to school with at that time swearing on a Bible that you know that was real, that really happened, that type of thing. And probably because there was a website about it, and back then it's like, well, if there's a website, it must be true. Yeah, before before Twitter. Um, but yeah, just kind of while we're still on it, the. 
the way it's presented where the black and white film camera has no audio so all the audio picking right. up is oh dude it's so fucking good so money and then yeah it's just it's it's one of those endings that it, it will never leave me um I love that movie, and the, the ending is just so iconic. So, had to had to give that some props on. That. Okay, so hang on, just to make sure I remember the ending. It's uh, so we've lost already one of the guys, right? Yes, you don't know what happens to him, but basically, it's his, his heart gets delivered to them, or at least a piece of him. Right, yeah. and then so then the girl is holding the camera. And then she sees the other guy facing the wall. Yeah. Like they said that the the the, le- the legend was she made the one face in the corner and she would kill the one and then go grab the other one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, you see that and then, and then she, she gets hit or whatever and drops the camera. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. It's one of those that like um, it's very very rare this ever happens because I feel like I can just appreciate something if I'm watching it. But there are every once in a blue moon those movies that I watch and I'm really remorseful that I was not. At an age like I am now, and able to see it in the theater during its original theatrical run. Oh yeah, yeah. That's. That, I remember that was the main thought while I was watching it. I wish I was watching this in the theater because you know we had the lights off and everything, but still it was like a small TV. Just the to imagine what it's like to be on a big screen oh, where yeah. everything is dark. Yeah. Not comparing at all these two movies because one is vastly superior to the other, mm-hmm. but I remember watching on tv at home cloverfield and being so grateful that i saw it in the theater when it was out oh yeah because i was like oh man this would have lost so much of its impact um but yeah so that'll that'll get the number three spot i've never seen any of the blair witch sequels i don't really care to but well they're not even because the second one is supposed to be it's not even a documentary or anything it's just like a regular movie it's like almost like what's the point yeah yeah um so we're number two? We are. Okay, you're going to love my number two, Alex. Oh, I already <laughs> loved your number four. Uh, my number two at 68% and Run Tomatoes, Unbreakable. Ugh. The best M. Night Shyamalan movie Ugh. with the best ending. And I'm not talking about the reveal that Sam Jackson is a supervillain. I mean, that's okay. That's fine. But really, it's the moment when... There's when his son realizes that he's a superhero. I mean, his son already knows that he has powers, but they see the the artist rendition of of Bruce Willis on the newspaper, and it looks like a superhero. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I know you hate the movie, but I don't hate it. I, I think a lot of my dislike <clears throat> of it has grown exponentially due to how much you and Eddie love it. So it's not that good. It's so good. They, you know, he rescues the 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 woman. And then, yeah, I guess he makes the news. And then the next day, he's he's having breakfast with his family, and the paper is there, and the son sees the the news on the front page, and there's a drawing of what Bruce Willis might look like. You know, his big what is it that he what does he has like a raincoat or something that uh, you know, poncho? Yeah, that's like that has that's his costume. Yeah, and uh, and it looks like a superhero. That's why he hits. He's like, wow, it's like. Yeah, he became a superhero. That was like, we just watched a superhero origin story, mm-hmm. and the kid also realizes it, and they have that knowing look. Uh, it's just, it's so good. And then, you know, the whole thing with Sam Jackson, it's just kind of like the icing on the cake. But uh, uh, have you, were you going to, were you planning on watching Split? No. Okay. I heard it's somehow tied in Unbreakable, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, so, of course, you know, I mean, it's been long enough. That we can like talk about it and just kind of. <clears throat> well, we already gave the warning of spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Split is kind of like the uh, the opposite of Unbreakable, where you see at the end of the movie, you saw the trailer, right? Professor X with split personalities, right? Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, like one of the girls escapes, he kills all of them, but but then McAvoy also escapes, and he's like united all his personalities. So now he's like a monster. And uh, and that's the end of the movie. Like the girl escapes, like he forgives her. He he spares her life because he realizes that she was also just like him. She had been abused when she was a kid, so so he spares her. And then cut to a coffee shop where people are seeing the news report of like this guy, you know, that's kind of like a monster now, out in the city. And the camera pans, 
and you see Bruce Willis. What? Yeah, and it's like, you know, he's they make it clear that it's his character from Unbreakable. And uh, he says something, you know, and then you cut to the credits. And so, and then you're like, oh, shit, that's the same world as Unbreakable. So you just saw, like, the supervillain origin story to, uh, you know, and it, I guess it's Unbreakable. Is he people. able to do anything, like, supernatural, like Bruce Willis is? Well, yeah, yeah. He's, like, when he, his, when his last personality, like, takes control, he actually, like, he gets, basically, he gets superpowers. He, like, climbs walls and is super strong and... This is how M. Night Shyamalan redeems himself. Okay, but here's the thing. I'm making it sound a lot better than it is. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, if he comes out with, like, a movie, uh, like... Oh, the, the Bruce Willis versus... Civil uh, War. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I think that's the plan. That's clearly that what he was going for, but unfortunately, the movie's not that good. So... Yeah, I heard it was kind of shite. Yeah, so Much I... Much like Unbreakable. I would like the... <laughs> no. <laughs> when I say it's the opposite of Unbreakable, I meant it. Like, in every... <laughs> Every way. Uh, but yeah. If the movie was better, that ending would have been amazing. But because the movie was weak, I was like, ah, what a waste of a cool ending. Yeah. But the ending for Unbreakable, amazing. <laughs> Just like the movie that, you know, came before it. All right. So if we want to talk about actual amazing movies here, moving on to number two. Going back to Christmas Day of 1993. Christmas of the Cranks. No, Jesus. Uh, I do believe it's Christmas Day. Indeed, Christmas Day of 1993, uh, the greatest Batman film ever created, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, <laughs> with easily the best written, it's the best written Batman story put to film, and the ending is even better. Now, not to say that film adaptations of The Dark Knight haven't tried to broach the subject of his love life, um, obviously, Batman Returns, the absolute best part of that movie is his relationship with Catwoman. Yep. And then Dark Knight Rises, as much as I love that movie, it does try to do a bit too much and it doesn't it doesn't capture why Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne are attracted to each other like Dark Knight or excuse me uh, Batman Returns does. Because Batman Returns just establishes these are two really fucked up people that are kind of just... Well, in Dark Knight Rises, they're two really attractive people. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, Christian Bale and Anne Hathaway should have sex. But in both those situations, you know, everything's kind of... This can work. This is hunky-dory. With The Mask of the Phantasm, I mean, there's many reasons why it's the best Batman film. But uh, Andrea Beaumont, the love of his life, falls in love with... Um, and he plans to abandon Batman, not in the way that he does in um, Dark Knight Rises, where you know someone else will rise up in my position. In uh-huh. Mask of the Phantasm, he basically it, there's this incredible scene where he's pleading with his parents' headstone that, like, look, I didn't, I never planned on being happy after y'all were killed. I, I want to quit this and I want to be with this woman. Um, and he gives up Batman for her, and she leaves him because she can't. You've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So now at this point, it's been it's been so long. Yeah, yeah. and she leaves him just due to situations like extraneous circumstances, um, and because of her father, her father's mob ties, they have to flee the country. So she leaves him. Um, so he basically has to become Batman again. She comes back. Obviously, she is the Phantasm. Spoiler alert. Um, and she comes back to kill all the people that wronged her dad. They have their big reconnection because she always knew he was Batman, and uh. You know, we could have been happy together. We could have had this. And he basically has to stop her. And then he believes that she kills herself in taking the Joker's life. But basically, she ends up just like he is, lonely, alone, and realizing that, like, it'll never work with them. But the way the movie ends is so amazing in that uh, it fades from him holding the locket of them together to him looking on Gotham City in... Oh, God, it's so good. Basically knowing this is the life that he has to lead. And it basically just paints the picture of this is the life Batman has. And really, he never had any other option. Obviously, it's a bit more of a bleak outlook. And obviously, I dig the story so much because I'm a hopeless romantic. And I was pulling for him <laughs> to you know have this relationship and get married with Andrea. Um, but the story the movie tells is so great. And it's easily the shortest Batman movie. It's 76 minutes long. Um but it hits all the notes it needs to, and 
it just hits that perfect ending of you know basically what what the story should be um they killed the joker right yeah it's not even like it's not kind of like implied where he could have come back like it's 100 percent he dies in this movie you don't see him die on screen but yeah it's pretty much he's been eradicated you know that movie the movie was supposed to be the finale to the animated series oh really but basically the animated series did better ratings than they were expecting and also like timelines kind of got rushed and mashed up so they made this as a theatrical release and also they pushed it for the christmas day um which it had a terrible box office return yeah it just barely made its budget but um the one you may be thinking of is uh batman beyond return of the joker where they actually kill him on screen Oh no, I haven't seen that one. I've okay. seen the beginning of that one. I, oh, I know well, that's sorry, I just spoiled it for you. No, 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 but you know that's the one where the Joker turns out to be the Grayson, right? Yes, but there's a flashback scene where um Robin kills the Joker after being like tortured and it's this really, really fucked up scene that was like so controversial they had to re release the movie and like edit it. It's really strange. But in this one, yeah, basically there's they're in this all these bombs are going off and batman has to leave the big thing is you think andrea dies too with the joker but she doesn't um but it's great it's one of the few movies i could watch over and over again it is the only movie in my top five favorite movies of all time that made my list as far as favorite endings go so (laughs) there you go all right so do we want to do honorable mentions before we go to our number ones because i don't think our number ones are going to overlap i hope they don't okay you already covered the Shamalot trail and also what I was going to draw a comparison to with Blair Witch, how it's very effective the first time you watch it, but it still works each time. Sixth Sense has an amazing ending that works one time. <laughs> it it goes in there. I remember I was that came out in 98, 99. I would have been 11 or 12. I remember being in the theater just being like, what? <laughs> like mind blown. And then rewatching it, you can see it coming a mile away, but that I don't think I've ever rewatched The Sixth Sense in its entirety. I've uh, seen bits and pieces again, but but uh, that's unfair because I know the ending, so I can say, right. "Oh, there you go." But yeah, it's, he never uh, touches anyone. He yeah. never interacts with anyone. It's so good though the the first when you saw it, was it spoiled beforehand? No. I did not see the ending coming. It was it's so good. Yeah, and, it was good. It was, and let's be perfectly honest, all his other stuff is debatable. M Night Shyamalan is still able to make movies because of the ending of that. <laughs> I guess. I mean, People, I think he's I'm still sorry, makes movies because they make money. I was about to say that's not fair. I'm not putting. I shouldn't put the blame on him. People still go to see movies he makes because right. of the ending of that movie. That's I should have ver- verbalized it that way. Um, so that, of course, had to have mention on there. Uh, Gladiator. I fucking love the ending. Really? I love Dude, the ending of Gladiator. I just, Gladiator is weak sauce all around. You're an idiot. We, we've <laughs> argued on and off air about Gladiator before. but So what is it like? He has like Russell Crowe at his mercy. And then somehow, because he doesn't kill him right away, Russell Crowe gets the upper hand. He stabs happened? him like in the kiver, the kidney or the liver or some shit. Russell Crowe, they have a fight. Russell Crowe kills him. Russell Crowe's considered the king. Russell Crowe dies. But and then, and then he goes to like the wheat field with yes. his wife and kids. Yes. <laughs> and then his buddy has the two figurines that Russell Crowe carried of his wife and his kid the entire time, and he buries them in the fucking Coliseum. And he says, "I will see you again one day, friend, but not yet." Not yet. I'm, I'm gonna get choked up talking about this. <laughs> All right, hit me with a couple of years, and then I've got a couple. Um, of I mean, the thing is, I don't want to ruin it, ruin these movies for you, because you know we're gonna we're gonna do them at some point. But uh, I'll just say the ending of Annie Hall. That's like ninety nine percent Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Uh, every now and then they get it right. It's uh, it's just perfect, like the most perfect ending to a romantic comedy ever. More so than Gladiator. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you really, you really buy it more. It, it, you know, the, the Russell Crowe Hawking Phoenix relationship. I that last kiss didn't work for me. <laughs> Too much blood. Uh, Do the right thing. Uh, the Spike Lee movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that is so fucked up. Like I've seen that movie two or three times, and I remember the first time, it just I didn't know how to react. 
to it. You know, like I, I was obviously much younger and it just, it made me angry and it confused me and I wasn't sure what the movie was going for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then every time I've seen it since, uh, you know, cause you're more aware of the racial climate. Yeah. And so then you understand, you know, it's like the fact that it ends with these three people like sitting on the sidewalk amidst like all the destruction and just being like, well, we did this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it. Actually, I'm due for a rewatch. Got yeah, to force Hadley to watch it. It's been a long time since I watched it. I had Carrie, as I said. The, the, ending the, the bad one, right? The original. Oh, fuck off. Um, I mean, obviously, the prom scene's great and everything, but just that, the God, the De Palma, when he wants to nail cinematography, man, there wasn't much anyone like him. When he wants to nail a mood and a feel, that whole dream sequence of you know her walking up to the the house that had burned down and the the last 20 minutes of that movie are just fucking money um they are actually yeah, yeah. all kidding aside i i finally watched it so i watched the remake first uh when it came out and i think last time i was visiting uh my family in peru carrie was on netflix and i watched it with my brother and it, it's, it's terrifying it is when was the last time you saw it uh, a couple of months ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I watched uh, around Halloween. I like most of it didn't work for me. Really? I, I think partly because I already seen like the more, you know, the remake, which is, feels more modern, it's more polished. Like the, the the there's a lot of stuff in the that feels just really dated in the original. <laughs> you you listeners should be happy that you can't see yeah. Alex's face right now because he's so angry. I'm staring with pure indignance. <laughs> this would be the face that you had when I texted you that I I didn't really think uh, the original Halloween was that great. Uh, no, that, that <laughs> <laughs> to me also a big thing about Carrie that works, and this is, goes beyond just the fucking finish of the film. Um, no one knew who Sissy Spacek was at all, and that's what makes that movie so fucking good. And like, that's another one that I wish I could have transported. I remember my dad telling me about that. It was like, no one knew who this girl was. She'd never been anything. So like, you could like suspend your disbelief to really think she was fucking had these powers, like with her fucking <laughs> her uh, facial expressions and everything. And uh, I I always for some reason forget Travolta's in that movie. Yeah, because yeah, he doesn't I... have much of a part. But uh, no, the ending's great on that. One that you may be surprised that came to mind and actually made the cut of honorable mentions was uh, Before Sunset. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's a great ending. Oh, okay. Because uh, we watched that together and, you know, my whole propensity for intensely dialogue-based films always waning. It's uh, But it's so good. In, in a lot of ways, um, I would not have minded if that trilogy that was, wasn't it, a trilogy. Right. If, if it ended the there. Because that's... Yeah. Um, the last line, baby, you're going to miss that plane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I, out of the three, I think it's the best ending in the trilogy. I think the third one is the better movie. Really? But but the second one has the best ending. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it seems like out of the three, when I, it comes to mind, there's the most dead air in the second one. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I like all three of them. I just like the third one better because there's, I just like how nasty they are to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's probably why the first one's my favorite, just because that's my favorite stage of the relationship <laughs> when everything's perfect. I mean, I said that's why I didn't put it on my list. The Dark Knight, the ending of The Dark Knight is and will, for the rest of your and I's lives, Julio, superhero movies are going to try to do what Christopher Nolan did with the Batman trilogy. Just make shit dark, and no one will ever, and I'll... 99% positive this. No one will ever end a superhero movie better than The Dark Knight ended. The fucking Gary Oldman voiceover. Because he can take it. He's a silent <laughs> guardian. A watchful protector of The Dark Knight. I watched that again recently. I, It's not like out of like sadness, but I always well up in the eyes at the end of that movie. Just because it's just like such a fuck yeah type of thing. But uh, And then last one for my honorable mentions. Then definitely throw it back over to you. Uh, Toy Story 3. It's uh, I had to have a Toy Story on here because I mean you can make an argument for any Pixar movie really that the ending uh, Wally's great um, even Cars I haven't seen the sequels but the original Cars is 
I and then like that it. thing that I always get hung up on because Wreck It Ralph, I always forget it's not Pixar because it's so good. Right. That, um, <laughs> but like we always talked about when he's reciting the the creed of the bad uh-huh. guy, that uh-huh. that's fantastic too. But Toy Story three, I remember screening that with about six of my coworkers in Denton. You're all, you're all holding hands like the toys are holding hands. We all sat like in different sections, but I remember us all coming out of the theater, and we wouldn't like no one looked at each other, like because. <laughs> The last scene you see of Andy playing with the toys, and then when the little kid makes Woody wave goodbye to him, mm-hmm. how how could you not be moved by that? No, it's soul crushing. But <laughs> the Toy Story two is the one I had in my honorable mentions. That's a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes uh, because that is the. It, I mean, I should give more credit to Toy Story three because really, after Toy Story two. I was like, I don't know how they could ever do a sequel to this movie. I remember thinking the same thing because Toy Story 2, I just recently saw that again too. It's perfect. Right. It's perfect. And it ends with that, just the right note of like uncertainty. It's like the toys are finally accepting their mortality. Yeah. They're like, one day he's just not going to want us anymore. He's going to be an adult. And well, we just have to enjoy it until until it, that happens. That is really fucking sad for like a kid's movie. Yeah. And uh and I was like, well, there's no way they can do another one because what, you know, the next one has to be him like leaving them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, kudos for number three, to number three for doing that. Took but, a page out of the Terminator 3 playbook of uh, uh, well, the best like, ending's the most, uh, the one you <laughs> expect the most. Except they also did a good movie before that ended. <laughs> Touche. Uh, uh, but yeah, the, but Toy Story 2, like the fact that they arrived, like, it's so brave of them to like get to that part mm-hmm. and just say, oh, this is how it ends. They just accept that they have uh, mortality. Yeah, I can't uh, remember the exact verbiage, but that's it. It's like, you know, he's not going to be around forever. He's like, I know, but I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, these toys, they're like wise. And, and that's the one also that Robert Goulet plays uh, Squeaker, and he sings, you got a friend <laughs> in me. Yes. Uh, a couple of like quick ones. Uh, the original Terminator is the Terminator to beat for me. That's also 100% oh, Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. and that ending is just, you know, you didn't need the sequel. That ending was just perfect. She, she's looking at the picture. No, no, she's uh, she's listening to, she's recording, and then the little kid takes a picture that she knows is going to end up in the future. Kyle Reese is going to have that picture and bring it back. It's just... Oh, and also, um, I forget who I was talking to about this recently. To me, that is one of the iconic, uh, in, not just that ending there, but uh, in the lead-in, one of the iconic uh, moments of female empowerment ever in an action movie. Oh, when she kills the Terminator? You're terminated, She's... motherfucker. Yeah, dude. The, the The whole last act of that movie is just fucking money. But yeah, the the wraparound of when the picture gets taken. And uh, what's the last line? This A storm is coming. I know. Yeah. yeah. God, that's so good. <laughs> uh, and then finally, just to piss you off, uh, the ending of Juno at 94% in Run Tomatoes. It's it's really uh, fucking sweet. The uh, after she has a baby and you have that shot of uh, her, her and Michael Sarah like lying in bed and she's she's put up this brave front the entire time that oh well I'm completely cool with this. But then you finally see that oh well obviously it takes a toll <laughs> to have a kid and then give it up. And you, is there a shot of Jason Bateman at the end? Uh, like jerking like, off by himself. I was gonna <laughs> say like unpacking his vinyls in his apartment. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think you see him again. But it's it, that shot of like after the birth, where it's just her crying with Michael Sarah is just so good. And if you go like a little further back, one of my favorite lines in the movie and favorite moments in movies in general is when she uh she gets you know because they they fought her and Michael Sarah had like gotten into a fight and now they. They kind of made up, and uh, she says something about how, like, he makes it, he's so cool, and it's like he's not even trying. And then he says, no, I'm always trying really hard. <laughs> I do remember uh, it will always make, like, I did not see coming at all when Jason Bateman hit on her. I was like, whoa, uh, uh, like, what the fuck? Gets so fucking awkward really Dude, fast. For real. Um, all right. So are we ready to unveil our number one favorite ending? Yes. Your who's, num- who's oh, that? it's my number one. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, uh, my number one. I okay, so it's seventy-seven percent in Rotten Tomatoes, and 
it's one of those endings that actually I haven't watched in a long time because I'm afraid of like falling apart as much as I did when I watched it in theaters. Titanic? No, no. Though that's I I don't really care for Titanic as much as the rest of you people do. Uh, You're talking about white people. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I'm talking about the Tim Burton masterpiece, Big Fish. Ooh. Uh, where have you seen it? Long ago, in a it, galaxy far, far away. Yeah, it's uh, I own it. I've owned it since it came out on DVD, and I've never like I've I've watched like bits and pieces. I've never sat and watched the whole thing again because. I'm I'm afraid of like just you know I mean you talk about like crying at the end of a movie that movie just demolished me and I didn't see it you know coming and I was in a movie theater just to refresh your memory the uh the whole thing is this guy is on his deathbed and him and his son don't really get along and he's known for telling like lots of crazy stories which is where the Tim Burton element comes you yeah. know Every time that he tells a story, you see it through like the magic of Tim Burton, this whole craziness. And uh, his son knows that it's all bullshit. And the entire movie, he's just like frustrated and trying to figure out what really, what really happened in his father's life. He's trying to figure out what kind of man he really was, away from like, you know, putting all these fantasy stories aside. And then, but then at the end of the movie, his dad is dying, and he's like by his side, and then he starts. Like, I think his dad is just too weak to talk. So then the son starts, like, telling him a story of, like, what's going to happen when he dies. And so now you see it again, like, in the fantasy light. But now it's the son telling the story. And, he, you know, he's basically taking him on a drive or carrying him, like... And you see all the characters from the from the stories that the dad had been telling throughout the movie. Just kind of, like, saying goodbye to him as he's, like, you know, going with son. It's just so perfect because, you know, you see uh, Dr. Manhattan... Uh, I don't remember the name of the actor. Billy Crudup? Yes, Billy Crudup. He's been kind of like this like uptight asshole through the entire movie. He's the son. Mm-hmm. And for him to finally like give up and he starts crying as he's telling the story. And and he just you know, he's just saying goodbye to his father, speaking his father's language, which is just dude, it was like I said, it demolished me. <laughs> I was watching it with my girlfriend at the time. And I guess she was fine with it, you know, and then she turned and she saw it was like bawling <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, oh, and she like wiped out of my tears. I was like, okay, stop, stop. stop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I I mean, I'm sure I'll get around to watching it again someday. Uh, but it's the memory of that ending is just so vivid. It's almost like I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad's always told me the story of uh, he took my him and my sister watched The Departed in the theater together nah. and he said my sister screamed and started weeping when leo got shot like similar like it sounds like you were a lot more subtle because it said she was just like no <laughs> and then just started like bawling oh god that's amazing that, that happened in something similar to me when i saw uh was it enough said was that the name of it with james gandolfini and yeah Ellen, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, elaine yeah that there was a scene in there where i was just like sobbing pretty uncontrollably which one uh where they say goodbye to their daughter oh yeah it does yeah yeah yeah, that's yeah which is one of those things like i don't know if you've ever lived that moment out in real life but also it's that's also just genuine acting but um things that can cause illicit emotions like that are acting uh writing you know obviously score or just things all being brought together and it's oddly fitting that dr manhattan was in your top pick as well because uh, he's in mine 2000 uh one of my favorite movies of all time almost famous oh uh, dude i thought you were gonna say Watchmen. oh fuck off <laughs> go and fuck yourself on that one <laughs> messed up my joke there i was gonna say the brown bunny number one um <laughs> So for Almost Famous, the the whole last half hour of that movie is just wonderful. And Cameron Crowe has done a lot of good things um, and several very bad things. Um, we tackled one of them on our podcast. And it turned out to not be bad. No, uh, by modern standards. Uh, Almost Famous is basically a perfect film, but the ending of that movie is so good just from basically uh, you've seen it. When's the last time you saw it? Oh, it's been a while, but no, I remember. Like, uh, basically, uh, Kate Hudson is uh, Billy Crudup's side piece, mm-hmm. and then 
So basically, the ending where I dis- distinguish that it starts is when um, she realizes that he's not going to leave his wife for her, and Patrick Wiggett finds her overdosed on uh, quaaludes, helps her get her stomach pumped, um, professes his love to her while basically she's ODing, and it leads to that amazing scene where she's on the airplane the next day uh, and is remembering it while she's getting ready to take off and sees him from the window. That's great. But what's perfect about the ending is uh, William Miller, the main character, the entire film, he's uh, writing for Cream Magazine, and he's trying to get an interview with Russell Hammond, uh, Billy Crudup, the entire time of the movie. Um, Billy Crudup calls Kate Hudson after all the hubbubs died down about her OD. says, hey, I want to come see you when I'm in the city, and she gives him an address. Uh, of course, it's her just... Uh-huh. duping him in and he uh-huh. goes to William Miller's house and it's kind of it's what I was explaining earlier I forget about what ending but um, as the audience you're realizing it along with Billy Crudup and that's always such a re- rewarding part of being a moviegoer yep and he goes to the room and and he tells him it's like alright let's do this interview and the question he's been asking the entire film is what do you love about music and he says, to begin with, everything. And that's how the movie wraps up. <laughs> um, not to be understated also in the last uh, 30 minutes of the movie is uh, this amazing scene where uh, Patrick Fugit's talking to um, Philip Seymour Hoffman over the phone. And they have this amazing conversation about what it is to be cool. And definitely not probably the best ending I've ever seen in a movie. But again, these are our lists. And it's one that stuck with me the most and I've always had a great appreciation for yeah, I really like uh, Almost Famous. The only reason I I don't own it is because uh, the I kept waiting for the what's it, like the special edition is like called Untitled or something, right? Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like I mean, at the time I was like it was like forty, fifty dollars, and it was like way too expensive. And I was like, I'll just wait until I can afford it and I'll get it in. And then I just I just never did. So it'll eventually, I'm confident, have a Criterion release that I can get. The whole Cameron Crowe collection, including We Got a Zoo. We bought a zoo. And, uh, <laughs> I like We Got a Zoo better. <laughs> we got a zoo. Hey, what man. Now? Yeah. If there's, uh, I'm the zoo. <laughs> if there's one thing this podcast has done is it made me realize that Elizabeth Town was not as bad as I remembered. So. Criterion worthy. It's, I, I don't know. I can't tell if the norm for film has just dropped so dramatically since then or what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I think a big part of that, if we talked about this when that episode happened, you can go back and listen to it. Was it like episode 38, I think it was. 38? Or, uh, excuse me, was it 18? <laughs> was it 28? No, it's a... Uh, was it 8? It might be 8. No, 8 Maybe was Empire eight. Records. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's early in the run. It's, it's first year. Is it? I think so. Okay. No, it would have been 38. 38 was uh, Bullets Over Broadway, so disregard any of that. Uh, but like we talked about with it, I think so much of the displeasure with that movie was because he made Jerry Maguire almost famous and then that. And it's right. It's like, this isn't perfect. Kill him! <laughs> uh, but those were good and bad endings. Um, what were your favorite endings? What were your least <laughs> favorite endings? Oh, and I have to say, I forgot. It was on my phone and then I deleted it accidentally. Uh Best superhero movie ending is Spider-Man 2. Dark Knight is a close second, but Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, he swings into battle, and Mary Jane's like, yeah, you can go. And then you cut to her, and she's very much not okay with him swinging out. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. That is that is great. That's- well, one, I don't appreciate you putting Nolan's trilogy in with other superhero movies. Well, you called the superhero movie first. Oh, did I? Yeah, you said for the next, like, uh, the rest I of our lives. All superhero movies will try to oh, be that. Okay. Anyway, uh, no. If you, in your little vein there, X2 would be the best superhero. Okay, now you're trying to make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> now, what it became was shit, but I remember when that movie ended, I was so fucking amped. Oh, like, dude, the ending is just so, like, the X Men show up at the president's, they're at the Oval Office, right? When like the when Gene holds back the water from the dam collapsing, and then <laughs> you get the crying Hugh Jackman like next to James Marsden, she's gone, she's gone. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. It's wonderful. Is, is Spider-Man 2, just so, from my knowledge, is that the one where she says, go get him, tiger? And then he, I like, think so. And he swings out. And then she's not okay with it. Right. Yeah. Which is great. It's like amazing acting from Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And uh, in such a like interesting way of ending the movie. You know, because it's like, oh, yeah, he got together with the girl that he's wanted for two movies now. And now you know that the the sequel, it's going to have to deal with her not being okay with him being Spider-Man. But not in the sense... See, they, they messed Much up... like X3, they dropped the ball significantly with yeah, Spider-Man 3. Yeah, because in Spider-Man 3, they do this thing where really, it's almost like she's jealous of him being Spider-Man. Yeah. And and that's not what the second one, like the end of the second one, hinted at. It hinted at her being worried, you know, that he's going to be. Part of it, I forgot he backhands her in that one too, and then she's not even like upset. She's just like, "Who are you?" Oh yeah, that's right. He does that, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, James Franco, did you did you catch the omelet scene where they're cooking omelets? <laughs> it just looks like a Judd Apatow sequence where they're just improving, like <laughs> cooking. At least they didn't have a scene where. Spider-Man, uh, Lois Lane, or excuse me, uh, Mary Jane's taking a, a bubble bath, and then Peter Parker walks in in his suit and tie and just jumps in the bath with her. <laughs> uh, Jesus. But those were good and bad endings, some of our favorites. If you all have any that you care to share or disagree with on any of ours, don't hesitate to reach out to us at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. Especially if you think that Alex is too in love with Terminator 3. When people have that much vitriol to spit at a movie, you have to stand your ground, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you guys have any suggestions for any more episodes like this, you know, don't hesitate to contribute. We're going to keep on keeping on how we're doing right now. By the time you're listening to this, we should be up to episode 41, which is the mystery episode. The box, the box. What's in this box? The box, the box. And uh, Oh, God, is it the box? Don't tell me. It's not seven. No, I thought the box, like the Richard Kelly movie, oh, which no. I haven't seen. <laughs> the box, uh, yeah, and then we'll move on from there. Uh, anything to add, Julio? Uh, no, no plugs, because you know we're just steamrolling. Yeah, no time for plugging. Like, <laughs> like men on a mission here. Uh, but as always, we appreciate y'all tuning in for this two-part episode here of the Contrarians. As always, we will continue to be right while y'all are wrong. Uh, but we do oh, defensive years. In case they may be playing. Yes. So, as always. Kudos to the festive years, as always. <laughs> Their album is Don't Let Me Use You. The uh, opening track is Last Stand. Closing track is Summer of 1999. They may or may not be playing uh, in this episode because it's a bonus episode. Correct. With that in mind, this may not last forever, but I'm going to enjoy it while it will. Good night. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs>